last time I used notes when I talked, and uh, several people said, said, did you know that was the best talking? <laughs> 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 so we'll try this again. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I made so many notes that uh, perhaps this is a two-part sermon, you see. It's con to be continued next week. <clears throat> I'll try to leave you with something that will bring you back next time. But the talk, those of you who read the paper, is about happiness. What is the, what is the topic? I can't, I can't remember. It. Something about... Uh, <laughs> How to live in the world and yet still be happy. I think that was it. So let's talk a little bit about some sort of basic things to the concept of happiness. And then we'll become more specific. Let's talk about pleasure and pain. Because often when we think of happiness, we think of pleasure. But it's very interesting that in this world, you can't even move a chair without there being consequences. Just try doing this in your living room or something. Just move a chair. And then there's all these ramifications because the chair has been moved. And the ramifications, the consequences, become another event in itself. And this is very important to understand about this world. You can't do anything that something doesn't result from it. And so whenever you choose one thing in this world, you choose two things. You choose the event and you choose the consequences. That's why within this world, all pleasure is painful. As uh, those of you in AA know. <laughs> so, you say, well, um, what I need is a new spouse. You go out and you get a new spouse. <laughs> now, what you find after 36 days is that the new spouse simply has all the problems that the old spouse had in a different place. And this, this spouse isn't well read, and, and this spouse um, has great table manners, but uh, can't make gravy like the old spouse, or whatever it may be. There's a little disappointment that sets in. Oh, you're so happy with your first baby that you say uh, to your spouse, let's have another baby. Because now you've discovered the key to happiness, right? It's having babies. Now, the first baby slept through the night, you see. But the, <laughs> but the second baby has colic, right? What does this mean? We ask. Of course, it doesn't mean anything. Baby just has colic. That's what it means. But there's that disappointment. There's that, that second thing that follows from the first that makes every, every pleasure painful. So let's say you go out uh, camping and for the first time you really smell the pine leaves and and you see these wonderful pinyon jays that we have here. And maybe you, you catch sight of uh, some of the magpies that have now come to this area. These beautiful birds. And you say, ah, the key to happiness is nature. So now you seek nature. And you're driving along in your car and and you decide that the key to happiness is to look out at the window at nature. And what do you do? Well, do you see that someone has emptied their 
ashtray all over the highway, and or you see someone ahead of you is now throwing things out the window with great abandon. <clears throat> or it's a little misty today. It's not the bright, shiny day that it was yesterday. So as soon as you seek anything in this world, then this comparison factor locks into place. Now if you just look up and you see this lovely pine tree, or you hear the, the song of this bird, that is entirely different. If from your core of peace, you glance up and see this wonderful friend that you hadn't really noticed how wonderful this friend was, how long they've been there, how many great talks you've had, how many times you've turned to this person when you needed help, suddenly all this floods back into your mind. Because you're peaceful, because your heart is full of love, you look up and you notice your friend. And you appreciate your friend so much. But Edgar, the higher ego, steps in and says, Ah, oh, you've got to do something about this. You've got to start seeing this friend more often. And you'll hear people get together and they'll say, We've got to get together more often because they had a good time this particular <laughs> evening. <you say." laughs> Now, pleasure can seem to be so intense that it appears to be a thing in and of itself. This is an undeniable pleasure, it seems. But it is not quite as clear as pain. There do seem to be times in which the pain is so acute, the physical pain, that it seems to be as hard as a rock, an undeniable reality. But let's look at pain. Because when you choose anything in this world, you have picked up a double-edged sword. Cuts two ways. Why would anyone pick up pain? Well, notice this the next time you pick up a little pain. Notice how many times you talk about the pain. Or just notice other people talking about their pains. Does it bring sympathy? Does it bring interest. Uh, can you wake someone out of their stupor who stands there with their drink in their hand at the party and, and suddenly you say, uh, I've been in unbearable pain for 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly, you know, they'll, they'll focus on you. They'll actually see you. What, what did you say? <clears throat> Someone tied a little knot in my colon, and uh, there's this pain there. They'll tell you about their pains. And pain seems to relieve guilt. We suffer enough, we think we've paid for it. We're not quite sure what the it is, but... There's a great big it we carry on our shoulders. And we're constantly trying to pay for it. This something that we've done. This vague something. Because we know God has pets and we're not one of them. And <laughs> it must be because of the big it that's on our back. So pain, that seems to be the way. You know, if we can suffer enough. Even God might like us. <laughs> now, happiness has nothing to do with either pleasure or pain. Now, there's nothing wrong with pleasure, and it would be possible to actually have the pleasures of this world and leave it at that. That is actually a possibility but there is almost no one who leaves it at that. The pleasure must be paid for, because the pleasure is based always on an advantage. You'll just look at whatever you find pleasurable in this world. It involves a body, 
that has an advantage. You have the time for this pleasure. You have the money for this pleasure. Uh, you are free of the, uh, the qualms. Uh, you've read enough books to know that uh, anything goes. And so you allow yourself this pleasure where other people don't. Other people say, this: you can't do this in life. And you say, ah, but you can do it because I just read such and such a book and it says it's all right to do that. And I know more than you do. So you allow yourself the pleasure. The pleasure always comes with some advantage. You can afford to buy the home on the hill that has the beautiful view of the mountains. Whatever it may be, notice that the pleasures of this world have an advantage to you as a body of some sort. This evokes guilt, and the guilt must be paid for. Now, happiness has nothing to do with that. Happiness is not sought, because pleasure is always sought. And many people can get very caught up in seeking a particular pleasure. But happiness never is sought, and it gives no advantage to a body. And so true happiness can can take place in the most peculiar places. I've told you about my friend who had his religious experience when his car was repossessed and then he went in and took a shower. And, and that's when he had his religious experience, was in the shower. And I've told you about the, the woman who had the head-on collision and later said it was the most beautiful and the most profound experience of her entire life. Now, it wasn't sought. She didn't have the head-on collision in order to feel the peace of God. So true happiness is allowed, just like the song says, like both those songs say. And the way that we experience true happiness is that we first... Go within, become peaceful, and then we look up. It's quite different. The way we have pleasure in this world is to decide what would be pleasurable. We make a judgment, and then we go after it. True happiness requires no seeking. It requires no rules. It requires no shifting of the routine of your life. It's just there because you have first sought the peace of God and then you looked up and you saw your friend or you saw your child. Or you saw your house. This is really a great old house. Yes, it does leak. Skylights leak. But it only rains, what, <laughs> six or seven times in Santa Fe a year. So, what? you know, you can put up with that. The extremes of pleasure and pain in this world can be very intoxicating. There's a wonderful evangelist that we receive here locally. I don't know how many cities get him. Who, who gives the most wonderful sermon on sacrifice that I have ever heard in my life. This guy has you giving up everything. And, and then the camera pans the audience and, oh, people are weeping and with joy and, oh, Lord, they've just given up everything. The last thing he's just told you what to give up, you know. It is indeed inspiring to hear a talk like that. These people are genuinely moved. Why? Because... There is real truth behind this ego dream. It's a very lovely ego dream. And that is that we will be left with nothing but God. 
And that we indeed wish for. That is a very deep yearning in everyone's heart to be left with nothing but God. It's just that you don't have to take everything in the world and renounce it in order to be left with nothing but God. And you can listen to a talk in which one thing after another is listed that you should give up, and this can seem very inspiring because of the truth that's behind it, but very confusing when you start trying to apply it. Because this whole list of behaviors has been run through that you're no longer to participate in. And it seems, oh, so wonderful, you're going to be free of all this behavior. But then you go out into the world and you start trying to get rid of these behaviors, and this can become extremely confusing and distressing. Why? Because the attention has been shifted from the very real truth that our heart yearns to be left with nothing but God to the world. And now we're valuing the world because we have to give it up. And so we've looked at all these things and we have definitely valued them because we now set about to get them out of our lives, one after the other. So indeed they have a charge, indeed they have a meaning. You can't want to give up something in this world without it meaning something. So now you're in a double bind. Because the more you try to give it up, the more it will mean to you. Now on the other side of this, and there's some wonderful uh, serials on television at night uh, that, that embrace this. How, how to have everything in the world. How to indulge every orifice. Uh, how to own every treasured object. How to manipulate every person on earth. How to control every company. How to crush every friend and enemy. <laughs> There was a columnist in New York that said, you haven't experienced true happiness until you've seen your friend, your friend fail. <laughs> that received a great deal of uh, attention when he wrote that, his final column. Uh, because there is a... <laughs> Because there is indeed that wish. We really do want our friends to fail. So that rang true. To the ego, it rang true. So on the other side, there is embracing the world. But that's the same mistake. It doesn't matter whether you're trying to shove it away or pull it towards you. You still value it. It's just that these are the extremes of pleasure and pain. So great pain, great sacrifice can appear to be uh, very inspiring. And this embracing of the world can be very tricky because we have been told that we have been given the kingdom of heaven. Our Bible starts out and tells us that everything... We have dominion over it all. It's all here for us. Though it would seem that we then go out and partake of everything that we would like to partake of. And if we left it at that, it would be all right. That would be okay. But that's not what we do. We get caught up in specific things that we're trying to go after and avoid the things that make it complicated or unpleasant. So... Perhaps you would like an affair. But now comes in this business of the affair has got to be kept quiet. What restaurant are you going to go to in Santa Fe that you won't see anyone? <laughs> and uh, your lover suggests the uh, waterbed with the vibrator, do you see? And uh, 
you've never tried this before, and it turns out to be horrible. <laughs> so there's all this swirling around the particular thing that you, you go after in this world. And so, for example, with, uh, as we mentioned before in here, often the fantasy, for example, with a new love, is let's go off on an island. Let's go be together on an island. You hear this a lot. You say. <laughs> let's run off. Why? Because it seems like that on an island, you'd get rid of this storm that's swirling around the activity. Now, the activity is based on exclusion. You must exclude everyone. You can't have everybody on the waterbed, you see. <laughs> and so... This creates a storm, and the storm doesn't seem to be part of the pleasure that's being sought. But it is, because we've requested two things. Whenever you seek anything in this world, you get two things. You get a plus and a minus, and that adds up to zero. That's why anything you seek in this world will eventually become meaningless. Whether it's great sacrifice or great indulgence, it will eventually become meaningless. Gail recently bought me a whole little thing of capers. Because I, this is one of the few things in life that still had meaning. Capers had meaning. I, I hate capers. I've, I had capers on everything in the world now. The capers are now meaningless. <laughs> so happiness is a gentleness that rises from peace. Happiness comes from allowing whatever is happening to happen. Happiness is simply enjoying where you are and the person with whom you're with. Happiness is an ease. It's a deep relaxation. It is, as we said last time, having not a care in the world. And since I have a piece of paper in front of me this morning, you'll be happy to know that there are four rules for happiness. <laughs> it says so right here. <laughs> Rule number one. <laughs> Make protecting your peace your consistency and not consistent behavior your goal. So the first rule for happiness is there are no rules. There's no consistent behavior. This is not something you're trying to do is to behave in a particular way, to run your life in a particular way. You're not even trying to run your mind in a particular way. Instead, your consistency is in seeking peace. So you seek peace first. This becomes your consistency and not consistent behavior. As you know, uh, ludicrous as this sounds, I play tennis. And one of my friends is always going off to tennis camp and comes back with a new serve. Have we talked about this? How many people here play tennis? Okay, we have a few crazy people. Now, the guy goes off and he, he spends, I don't know, how many hundreds and hundreds of dollars to be run around on a court for two or three weeks, and he comes back with a new serve. Now, of course, the new serve absolutely does not work. <laughs> so he gets up there. Now, now it's a tight match, do you see? Should he abandon the new serve, for which he has paid $3,765? <laughs> And this becomes a huge battle because 
The ego says you must either use the serve or not use the serve. You cannot just use the serve when you'd like to use it because you've paid all this money for it. And beside that, there is one hope, and that is that if you were to continue using the serve, the new serve, long enough, it might work. <coughs> and so for your own future game, and for the fact that uh, you may eventually be able to beat so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, if you keep this up and you work hard enough at it, you should keep the serve up. Not because it's, it, you're, you're playing well with it now, but because you may eventually learn to serve and therefore improve your game. And so you should sacrifice the present for a hope in the future. And so the person keeps using the serve over and over again. Still doesn't work. Rackets get broken. There's all kind of language used that's never been used before and so forth. But the serve must be stuck to. Now, the key to happiness is what? You've got a new serve. If you want to use it, you use it. If, you, if, if on the second serve you don't want to use it, you don't use it. If you want to use it for, for one whole game and not use it for three weeks, then you do that. Why? Because you're just simply listening to your heart. And you just do what you want to do. And it doesn't mean anything whether or not you have a new serve. Uninvited house guests. All right, now, what do you do about an uninvited house guest? Here it is. You've been working at the uh, Happy Carrot for three years. See, I can talk about the Happy Carrot because it's not a business now. <laughs> they were probably wonderful people. I, uh, <laughs> you've been working at the Happy Carrot for three years. Finally, you've talked them into one-week vacation. And right then, Uncle Jack calls. You know, Uncle Jack with the cigar? He's never seen Santa Fe. And he wants to come right during your vacation. Now, what do you do? Now, the ego says you either got to commit to the uninvited guest. They've got to be there every single day that they want to be there. You can't ask them to leave. You're not even supposed to drop little hints like the uh, fact that you're not sleeping any longer or <laughs> that you've just used up all of your budget for the food for the month and it's only the first week. <laughs> I'm supposed to do that, do you see? You're supposed to commit to the house guest or not have the house guest. What's the key to happiness? Well, I have a friend who recently did this. She had the house guest for a couple of days, kicked him out. Three days later, she invited him back. He stayed for one day. She kicked him out again. <laughs> That's the key to happiness. <laughs> you just have the house guest as long as you want, you see. There doesn't have to be any rule about it. Now, she kicked him out very lovingly, made sure that he has another place to go to and so forth. She took care of him. And she called him back and said how much she missed him and would he move back in. They're still friends. It's interesting that when you operate from this sense of peace and certainty within you, people actually don't get offended like you would think they would. They sense this calmness and this peace. They somehow understand sanity. We don't think anyone's going to understand sanity. They understand being happy. They can feel this. Should you be on time to an appointment or should you be late? Yeah. Some of you are punctual and some of you always get here late. I already know this about some of you. <laughs> some here are always a little early. Now, if I were to sit down and ask the people who are late why they're late, they would have wonderful excuses to tell me. And it would be different every week as to why they, were, they got here seven minutes late. Isn't this true, those of you who know people who are late? They always have a wonderful excuse, and it's the first thing they tell you when they walk in the door. <laughs> and it's different. Every single time, it's different. And very understandable, and once again, you're, you're very sympathetic. 
you forgive your friend, which you should do. But it's actually a decision. I am a punctual person. I am a person who does not care about being on time. This must be stuck to at all costs. What's the key to happiness? The key to happiness is that if you do not have your peace, then it's all right to be late. It's better to have your peace and be a few minutes late than it is to be on time and enter the activity without peace and without gentleness. So the key to happiness is always you seek first your peace because now you indeed have something to bring to the appointment. You've got peace to bring. If you don't bring your peace with you, you are not giving the other person anything. I don't care how externally important the event seems to be. And likewise, your peace may once indicate to you to, to start five minutes early. Your peace may say, go ahead, be on time. <laughs> you see? There seem to be people out there who are in desperate need of healing. And this can be very distressing. That so-and-so is in a wheelchair, or so-and-so is in a lot of pain, or so-and-so has this cancer that's going to kill them in another year. Or just that uh, your child has got a, a fever, or a bad case of the flu or something. This can be very distressing. And please don't make the mistake of trying to see this as anything else but distressing. If, it's, if it seems to be a tragedy of some sort, then allow it to be a tragedy. You don't have to, in the name of spiritual truth, try to look at this in some happy way. If it isn't happy to you, it isn't happy to you. It would just be mental dishonesty to try to look at it any other way. But eventually, what you will find is that healing has nothing to do with changing the other person's body. Healing has only to do with healing the images within your mind. And once you see that, you will love to heal. And you'll go around healing everybody you see because you will not look back to see if the person now it's thrown down their crutches. You see, you pass this person on the plaza and you heal them in your mind. Now, if you turn around to see if they threw their crutches down, you're not doing healing work. Because, once again, healing has to do with the peace. It wells up from the heart. And so all you are interested in is the light within your own mind. So you heal the shadows, the dark images within your mind. And you do not look to see if the person has recovered. The person will now receive the gift of healing, but it's up to them as to whether or not they accept this gift. And they may have a very good reason for not accepting it at this particular time. We do not know their situation. We do not know whether it would be truly helpful for this person to be healed. For example, it is obviously not always a kind thing that someone lived. Now, we've all seen people in situations in which their life circumstances or their body bodies have become so painful, so distressing, and now they're dying. It isn't necessarily the best thing for this person to live. This isn't always the happiest thing nor do we decide that it's time for them to go. We simply give them our gift of healing, but we do not insist that there be some sort of physical resuscitation. So you take your child, you take your friend, you take the person on the plaza, you take whatever, you take something in the news, you take this old relationship, 
has come back into your mind, this unhealed relationship. All you do is you just take the person in your mind, you embrace them in love, and you change the image from an unhappy image or a depressed image or a diseased image or a dying image to one that laughs and sings. So that your your mind now is filled with light and it doesn't have this shadow. And then if something happens and the shadow comes back into your mind, once again, you simply turn on the light. This is true healing. This is such a wonderful activity to engage in. You can do it when you pick up a newspaper. Time magazine has just discovered salt. You notice that? In front of time. Is salt the new villain? I just love Time magazine. <laughs> well, all right, you read that, you see. And maybe this brings several people uh, to your mind who have uh, hypertension or someone who has angina. And you think of this person who has this pain. Heal them, meaning change that image right on the spot to one that is happy. Pour your peace and your love all over them and all around them until the image sings. We talked a while back about how this is done. And that is, first of all, you, you seek the peace of God. You seek your happiness and your gentleness. Then you surround the individual with this lovely light. And in that light, their body can't help but smile and be free. Notice that it does that. So this, even, even in this imagery, there is no work. You're not trying to work to change their body in some way, you see. That, that, that can get to be a conflict. Because as soon as you get the leg straightened out, pop, goes back, you see, in your mind. Don't do that. Just seek the peace. Surround them with peace. Notice that in this lovely light of your love, of your caring, that now their mouth smiles and their eyes twinkle. This is not quite so obvious. The first one that we make protecting our peace, our consistency, and not behavior, our consistency, is fairly obvious because we keep seeing all the devastation that these, that these rules, that these ideals that we've set up that just wreck havoc in people's lives because we've got to stick to it. That's obvious. The second one is not quite so obvious, and that is act with certainty. This is extremely important. And it is, in fact, the first step to healing. So if you don't feel that you're ready yet to do the kind of imagery thing or the filling your mind with light, the happifying of your thought content, if, you're not, if you don't feel ready to do that, do take this step. And that is, stop being afraid of this world. Notice that you do not have to fear this world. You do not have to fear the invitation that you receive to go out in the evening. You do not have to fear the Internal Revenue Service. If you are late, you are late. Let's say that. If you're late, you're late. <laughs> you don't have to fear saying no. So the first step in healing is that you simply look at your life and you correct those things that are not bringing your, you peace. May I ask you to close your eyes? You're going to be so glad we did this. <laughs> close your eyes. Just look over your life now. Just look it over. What's going on in your life?
don't have to do this, but please notice, just in fantasy, that you can go ahead and change those things that aren't making you happy. Just take one or two of them and don't get in any arguments about yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. Just change it. Just go ahead and change it. The cat sheds. The cat isn't going to stop shedding. It's always going to shed. What do you do? You get rid of the cat. <laughs> if we spent, now your eyes are still closed. This is seeking deep into your heart. If we spent just half of the time that we spend fantasizing about a particular problem, worrying about it, being preoccupied about it. Please notice how much time you spend thinking about a particular problem. Since there are several kids in here, I'll mention homework. Is the homework done? Have I done the homework? If you just spent half the time that you spend wondering when you're going to get your homework done, doing the homework, it would be done. This applies to every single problem. Notice how simple it is. Okay, you can open your eyes now. It, it really is okay to look directly and fearlessly at your life to see what it is that's making you unhappy and to change it. It's really okay to do that. Don't listen to the yes buts. Just do it. Because you cannot have the peace of God as long as you think that this world dominates you. As long as you think that there are things in your life that you can't do anything about. Non-members of the dispensable church. There is something you can do about it. Do it. Now, ego certainty is heartless. So you don't have to do this heartlessly. You very gently take the cat. <laughs> you buy one of these nice little cans of food and you give it a last dinner. You pet it and so forth. And then you go do something very simple. Like you go down to the animal shelter and you give them a fee and you say, I'm giving you the money to have the cat spayed and I don't want the cat put to sleep. I want the cat to stay here until it has a home. Very simple. Just do that. I'm not asking you to be unkind to the cat. <coughs> oh, but who's going to give the cat? But you don't like the cat. The cat sheds. Do you realize the cat's not happy? It knows you don't like it. Are you saying that you're the only person who can take care of this cat? <laughs> That's rule number two. Now, here's rule number three. Simply return to peace. So rule number one was you make protecting your peace your consistency, not consistent behavior. Rule number two was you act with certainty. You just act fearlessly in all things. Because your ego will always come in and say, yes, but you feel selfish. Or yes, but you're envious. Or yes, but you've lost your peace. And you say, yes, I have. And you go right on acting certainly. You see, what the ego wants is for you to stop and to get into a battle. So you look at whatever's going on in your body. Yes, I'm jealous. Yes, I'm sick. But you go right on doing what you want to do. Now, the third rule is simply return to peace. Will you all say that with me, please? Simply return to peace. So the Dalai Lama has come into town. And he said that um, 
that he's choosing a new Dalai Lama. You know, they have all these signs and everything. And it's someone in Santa Fe. And he thinks perhaps it is you, his, this messenger has come. No, this didn't happen to him. <laughs> he can see you for five minutes. And you see the quickest way to get there is to go down Alameda. Now, of course, as you know, Alameda being the narrowest road in the central part of Santa Fe, that's where all the money is spent to repair the road. So always the big equipment is out there on Alameda and so forth, especially during tourist season. And so uh, an emaciated donkey couldn't get through the room as well. But you've got to get there, you see. Turn on to Alameda. And who turns in front of you? A low rider. <laughs> what do you do? Simply return to peace. You've ordered the chef's salad. <clears throat> you enunciated so well when you said, will you please put the salad dressing on the side? <clears throat> the D inside was ticked off. You were actually proud the way you said this. You looked straight into the waiter's eyes. Here comes the chef's salad and the dressing's all over. What do you do? Simply return to peace. Okay. Now here's your chance for immortality. As you know, this is being recorded. And uh, there are actually people in different parts of, uh, we even got people in different parts of the world now that are asking for these tapes. I know this is absolutely crazy, but it's, <laughs> this, they think this is the best, the best sitcom there is, do you see? It has nothing to do with spiritual enlightenment. They, they, you know, they gather all their friends and they say, do you want to know what's really going on in Santa Fe? And play with <laughs> so, I want you to very clearly give me, give us one of these things, and then we'll tell you what the answer is. doesn't have to be funny, just something that comes up. Report card with S. Simply return to peace. Car breaks down. Your car breaks down. Simply returns to peace. My roof leaks. Simply return to peace. You fall in love. Simply return to peace. Okay, about two more. Don't know what school to send your kid to. Or where to change schools. Simply return to peace. Simply return to peace. Now let me ask you one more. You're in the house and it starts burning down. <laughs> Do you simply return to peace? <laughs> First, you get out of the house. <laughs> then, simply return to peace. So this, this, isn't, this does not call for a behavior. Once again, as we talked about last time, Edgar, the higher ego, always wants to translate everything into a behavior. So Edgar now translates this simply return to peace is some sort of physical passivity. This doesn't preclude acting. 
So if your car has a flat, you get out and fix the flat. You can return to peace while you're doing that. Which leads to rule number four. Love everything. Now, children are wonderful lesson teachers in this respect because they love every aspect of the task. You know, little two, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and so forth. You, For the first time, you, you put them up there so they can help you wash the dishes. Notice that they like everything. They like turning on the water. You got the little spray thing, you know, spray. Oh boy, now that they love. <laughs> they will show you things that can be sprayed that you had no idea. <laughs> you get out the soap. Let me, let me do the soap. Okay, all the soap. Much too much soap. You got more soap than you have water. <laughs> they like the drying, they like everything about um, doing the dishes. Now, what we do is, because we are focused on the results rather than on the peace, we are looking for the completion of the task. And that's why we cannot enjoy the task. How much time, you think, is involved in your life with completions versus how much time is involved with tasks? At least a hundred to one, wouldn't you say? So you, what you're doing is you are abandoning a hundred, oh, excuse me, there's no such thing. Yeah, a hundred to one, is that possible? Ninety-nine to one, let's do it that way. Ninety-nine <laughs> percent of your life you are throwing away <clears throat> if your happiness is centered on the result. Become as a little child means enjoy doing the taxes. That is actually possible if you allow yourself to do it. Now, I, I know this seems impossible. I, I picked the wrong analogy here. <laughs> and you can tell that I don't do the taxes in my household. <laughs> if, for example, you say, they'll get done when they get done. I can take as many breaks as I want to. I can sit comfortably. If I want music playing, I can have music playing. I can do anything I want to about the texts. Just sit down and you just do a little bit of them, as much as you want, you see. The minute you feel any distress, you want to sit, uh, stand up and stretch, take a little walk, come back. Remember, children don't care when something's going to be done. I'm not... I'm not uh, advising once again that you use children as a model. I'm just talking about uh, this is, you know, we can learn from everything. And children, you can definitely learn from in this respect, and that is they never seem to, I'm talking about little two and three and four year olds, they never seem to have any concern about how long it's going to take, or when will it be finished, or what will the results be. They just like pouring the soap in and doing it. They don't want to know when the dishes are going to be finished. Now, of course, Kids can be taught to get very future-oriented, and you can see this happening. But instinctively, they're not that way. They just like each aspect of it. So now you're going through the checkbook. Just do it gently. Do it with peace. If you feel the stress, simply return to peace. Then go on with doing the checkbook. When the statement, love everything, is made, often Edgar, the higher ego, will make another battleground out of this. Because there seem to be so many things out there that we simply cannot love. So how do you love everything? How do you love uh, the pencil that you hold in your hand? How do you love uh, this new uh, aftershave lotion? that your friend has just purchased and thinks so wonderful. They just bought a whole case of it. <laughs> and, you, and you see yourself smelling this aftershave lotion for the next six years. How do you love driving down uh, some dirt road 
near Bandelier or someplace else. And, and uh, you, you realize that someone has made a, a garbage dump over here. How do, you, how do you love that? Well, you simply cannot love that if you look to the world for what is loving. If you start searching the world for what is beautiful, you're going to start making comparisons and you will immediately see things that distress you. So the way to love everything is first return to peace. And then look at the world. So now you're not scanning the world or your friends or your job or anything else for what is lovable. But first you enter the love within you. And then you look out. So all four of these rules had to do with forming one habit that replaces all the others. And that is the sinking back into the arms of God. The deep relaxing and the letting go. This pausing that comes before you pick up the phone to call so-and-so. Here's the, or the phone is ringing before you pick it up. You just pause a second or two. Sink into peace, and then you answer the phone. So the one rule that can replace all four of them is simply this. Happiness is in the effort and not the results. So we will let go of this world when we no longer mind being here. We don't let go of this world by hating it. We don't let go of special relationships by hating them. We don't let go of illness by fighting it. We don't let go of depression by trying to get out of it. We don't eliminate anger by trying to substitute the feeling of peace. The way we release ourselves from the madness of this world is to seek peace first in all things. That is the effort. And in that effort comes the concept of simply trying. Simply asking for help. Simply turning to God or to Jesus or to your saint or to your guide or to your deeper self or to your book of inspiration or to your form of meditation wherever it is that you contact this one who loves you so much by whatever name it may go by you ask for help you realize that there is indeed someone there who wishes to help you How many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire? There's a wonderful line in there uh, where the, um, the man who is very religious is being talked to by his sister and his sister is telling him, well, you shouldn't be doing this running. Uh, you're going to lose it all. Uh, you should be still and so forth. He has a marvelous answer. He says, I can feel his pleasure when I run. I can feel his pleasure. Now, he didn't base that on some quote from the scripture. He didn't base his answer. This was an experience. And it is a fact. And we've all had that experience. We have felt his pleasure when we laughed at something we could have gotten mad at. We have felt his pleasure when we've reached out and comforted someone even though they're a hypochondriac and they're always getting this, you know. But this time, instead of just being kind of irritated with them, we took them over the chicken soup and we patted them and everything like that. We felt his pleasure. You can actually hear God laugh. It's a delightful sound. It just fills the air with music. We feel his pleasure when we seek him first and then act. 